0: In Luke chapter number 19, we are up to verse number 11. Today we're going to work our way down through verse number 28 with the parable of the pounds. We're going to begin in just verse number 11 as Jesus gives us the reason for the parable. and He talks about kingdom timing and then in verses 12 through 27, you get the bulk of this passage as Jesus gives the lesson of the parable. He's talking here about kingdom tasks. So let's consider these things together from God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for time together with your church and your word. We ask for your blessing upon this time. May we be edified therewith. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In Luke chapter 19, verse 11, the Bible says, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately Appear. So Jesus teaches a lesson on the kingdom with two reasons. First, he was about to go into Jerusalem and begin making his way to the cross. So verse 11 tells us that he did this because he was nigh to Jerusalem. He, he, he was on his way there. They were misunderstanding what was there. And as he was on his way, he decided it was time to teach them a lesson about what was going to happen. Verse 28 then concludes, And when he had thus spoken... He went before ascending up to Jerusalem. So we have a setting made for us here as Jesus is beginning to make his way to what we would call the climax of his ministry here on earth. But we find here that there are people who've misunderstood exactly what his ministry should be. So verse number 28 or or the second part of this, verse 11 and verse 28 lay that out for us. The second part of this is in verse number 11 there. As it says, because he was not at Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So his second reason for this teaching was not only the geographical location, but this misinterpretation by his followers of the timing. They assume that he's heading to Jerusalem to establish himself as the king of the Jews to officially begin his earthly reign. So they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. That's exactly what Luke records for us here as Jesus' reasoning for teaching this. Now, that's important for you and I in our day. These people misunderstood the timing of God's plan and the character of his kingdom. We mustn't make those same mistakes. They're excited. They have clear motives for what they have mistakenly come to expect. I don't fault these people for this. In fact, as you read on from verse 28, you get into a passage of scripture that we call what? It's used once a year usually. Not that one. Who knows? You, you, you might even have a heading in your Bible. Nobody, nobody wants to be wrong. <laughs> Palm Sunday. yeah. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then what comes after Palm Sunday? Somebody said it over here. I don't know who it was. You get the Last Supper, you get the prayer in the garden, you get His arrest, His trial, His crucifixion, all of these things. But were they standing on the side of the road on Palm Sunday saying, Hosanna in the highest because they thought He was headed to the cross? No, they thought He was headed to a throne. And they had been occupied. Well, we, we've always been free. As Americans, we don't understand this, but someone else had ruled and reigned over them that, they, that wasn't them. And they didn't like this. And they thought, our King has finally come. They had been taught by their religious leaders that this king would come and this is what he would do. And They misunderstood not only the timing, but the purpose of Christ's kingdom. Purpose is not the right word, their character. They misunderstood the character of Christ's kingdom. They believed that they were on the threshold of a breakthrough in history, and they were. But they were misunderstanding about what it was. So their counsel to Jesus is this. Now is the time. You don't need to any longer conceal the fullness of your power. Enter Jerusalem as a conquering king. Throw out the Roman government. Take charge. We're behind you. Now, with that on their minds, what does Jesus teach them? He stops his trip and he teaches them the parable of the pounds. And that's the lesson we have here today. And in this parable, we learn kingdom timing. God's kingdom will not come in its fullness until the king returns at a time that he determines. And we learn kingdom tasks. Though the details vary, everyone has a basic task. And that is to serve God faithfully. So let's get into the parable of the pounds here. But I want you to keep in your minds what's going on in the world. These people are, they're, they're just kind of keyed up. Something big's about to happen and they can sense it. Does that ring true to you today? It sort of feels that way in our world right now, doesn't it? As if, you know, we're, we're sort of pregnant with expectation. Well, I think as Jesus' lesson to them during this time was this, I think it's Jesus' lesson to us during this time as well. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So a man of noble birth is going to travel to a far country. He would there be given a kingdom. He would return and he would rule it. During the time of the Roman Empire, the way this would play out is one would travel to Rome. You had to go to where the emperor was and maybe you'd be given the rule of Galilee or some other place there. And certainly we see this is Jesus is what he's alluding to in this passage. Uniquely, if you skip down to verse number 14, the people in Jesus' parable, the people of this man's area, the people of his supposed kingdom, they don't want him as king. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. So, this is a unique thing that Jesus is teaching here that there's this nobleman and it's his time and he's supposed to be reigning. He's headed off to the far country where he will be kind of honored with the the officialness of the kingdom and he'll come back and he'll rule and reign. Well, the people, the citizens of that place, they send a delegation behind him and they say, what would that be like in our day and age? Not my president. (laughs) Seems like every four years a different side decides to say this right now, right? But that's exactly what what they're doing. They want the emperor to know we don't want this guy as our king. Now, I think those in Jesus' audience would, would bring a familiar story to their mind. And some of you who are history buffs, you can teach us about this later. But there was the account of one of the Herod's sons. His name was Archelaus. And this similar thing had been happened to him so much so that when the The emperor went ahead and gave him the kingship there over an area. The people just kind of usurped him and they set up maybe like five governors in his place or whatever. So I think Jesus is playing off that. I don't think Jesus is trying to teach them this. I think they would have kind of had in their mind the news of that. It would have happened at Jesus near his birth. So the timing of it is, is unique, but they would have probably known about it. What is Jesus doing with that information? He's trying to point out This very thing in their relationship with him. They wanted Jesus for one thing. Jesus was intending to do another. After Jesus did what he's intending to do. Went to the cross. He was going to go to the far country to his father. And wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Things in heaven. Things in earth. Things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2 tells us what's going to happen when he goes to that far country. He would return as king by whose authority? God's authority. Well, that's not what they want. They wanted Jesus to fix now. It hadn't hit me until right now how timely this sermon is. What's Tuesday? Oh, everybody's going to vote. You're going to fix some stuff? Who's going to fix some stuff on Tuesday? Oh, I've, got my, I've got my cheat sheet ready. Shanae's been watching the forums. The town of White Bluff is in an upheaval. <laughs> We're going to change the world. We, we laugh, but we, there's some seriousness to that, isn't there? Christian, don't forget the old song. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. Am I the only redneck in here? And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Yeah. This is is not us. I have a, a temporal citizenship here. Heaven has given me a green card to be an American citizen. But my citizenship is on Hallelujah Square. This world is not my home. The the rulers of this world, they're just controlled by my king. God is my king. This is my father's world. Let me never forget that all the wrong, although the wrong seems also strong, he's the ruler yet. Jesus' purpose and his timing for this parable of the pound is to remind the people There's two ways this can play out for you. I'm going to the far country. I'm going to get myself a kingdom. You can send a delegation and say, whoa, 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 we're the scribes and the Pharisees. We don't want you to have this. We want you to do something else. Or you can embrace the true kingdom. He's only a week away from his death. He's only hours away from his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's only a few weeks away from his ascension back to heaven here. So he's teaching them about his approaching departure. He will go to the Father to receive his kingdom. He will at some moment in the future return in triumph. He's also teaching them here about the future manifestation of the kingdom of God, which will only come after a time of visible absence of Jesus. He's going to be gone for a time. We're in that time. Now, verse 27 I know I'm skipping back and forth. I went 11 to 28, and I'm going 12 to 27. I'm kind of giving you the bookends, and we'll get to the meat in the middle. Verse 27 But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And this parable ends on a very sober note. So he started by teaching them in verse number 12 that a, a certain nobleman was going to go off and receive a kingdom. But verse 14, they sent a delegation behind him and said, We don't want this. Well, when he returns, this nobleman as king does what? Well, those who opposed him, those that said he won't reign over me. He says, bring them here and slay them before me. You see, that's that's coming as well. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even those who now would shake their fist at him and say, he's not my Lord. well, He's your Lord. All right. And you can bow to him now in peace or you can bow to him then in defeat to your detriment. Butler writes here, Jesus spoke directly to the Pharisees and scribes who would soon lead him to Pilate and Calvary. They were opposing him. They did not want this type of relationship with God. They refused to acknowledge him as king. Eternal slaughter and death awaited them. There's a principle here from verse 14 to verse 27 that active opposition to God brings even greater punishment than refusing to do things God's way. It's one thing to be in disobedience to him. It's, a, it's an entirely different thing to be in active opposition to him. Now, I hope you wouldn't find yourself in either place, but one is worse than the other. Well, back to verse 13 then, the parable of the pounds. So he's going to go away. Verse 12 tells us, While he is gone, verse 13, he called unto him his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Now, a pound is in the Greek amina. In fact, your Bible might have that word there in it. MacArthur explains mina as a Greek measure of money equal to slightly more than three months salary. The mina would be one sixtieth of a talent. So a familiar parable to the, the parable of the pounds would be the parable of the talents. And you're probably familiar with that parable there. This is not that parable. This would be different teaching there. It, it plays out differently. It means something different. One thing for sure we would notice from there is Jesus is not saying that this guy gave them a whole talent. He gave them one sixtieth of that, but still a substantial amount, at least... Three months salary, depending on how you read this, it could be three months times 10, so it could be 30 months salary, but somewhere in that measure. The amount is not as important as what he's doing here. Now, he's, he's, a, he's a nobleman. He's saying to some of his servants, 10 of them, I'm going to give you enough to set up and do business that you may sustain this thing till I get back. In my absence, I need 10 of you to do what I would have done where I hear Now, there's very helpful wording in verse number 13 for the Christian. And he said unto them at the end of the verse there, Occupy till I come. Now, when we think occupy, we often think of it in a military sense, right? Occupy till I come. The Greek word we translate into English from occupy doesn't mean quite that. Sort of. You, you can make that case and it would be all right. But there's a a greater meaning for it there. I'm going to try to pronounce the Greek word for you, but it's a long one. Pragmatoumai. P-R-A-G-M-A-T-E-U-O-M-A-I. Anybody going to name your kid that? Going to get that tattooed on your foot? What does that mean in the Greek? It means to do business. It means to do trade. It was used just in this type of a situation. The one who had gave to those who didn't and said to them, you use this initial capital to turn a profit through loans and investment. Conduct business in my stead. So these servants were to take what was given them from their master and earn him a profit that he would receive upon his return. Of all of the reading that I did in regards to verse 13, W.A. Criswell was my favorite. In fact, if if you just have some time this week, look up. W.A. Criswell, Occupy Till I Come. It's a fine sermon. There's actually a recording from it from 1954. And then there's his sermon notes there that you can read there. But I want to I read you a portion of what he said there. And this was in 1954. <laughs> Occupy Till I Come. In other words, the things that we have are not ours, but they belong to the king. They belong to God and we have them in our hands for a brief little while. The air that I breathe is not my air. It belongs to God. The land on which we live is not our land. It belongs to God. The stars that shine above us and the sunshine of the day is not our sunshine. It belongs to God. The time of our life and of our ministry is not our time. It belongs to God. This is not our world. This is not our home. This is not our land. This is not our firmament. This is not our place. It belongs to somebody else. It belongs to God. And God says, Occupy till I come. Until the day I return, I commit it to your care. What is the Christian life to look like? That's what it's to look like. The ground beneath you, the sky above you, the air in between. The very life that you are living belongs to God. And God says, now steward over it until I return. What a wonderful thought. The church has received the gospel from Christ. We too are to occupy profitably with this capital investment that He has given us until He returns. So how do we put the gospel to work? Phil Riken lays out very clearly some practical examples on how we can put the gospel to work in our lives. He says we do it by growing in our own Christian lives through repentance, prayer, and daily dependence on the Holy Spirit. Repentance, prayer, Daily dependence upon the Holy Spirit. What will this lead to? Well, it will lead to us trusting God to meet our needs, to guide our decisions. When's the last time you truly asked God to guide your decision? Versus, God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm asking you to bless it. That's, that's all right sometimes. Lord, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to eat these Doritos and this microwave burrito. Please bless this. Change the molecular structure of this food and make it healthy for my body. In Jesus' name. (laughs) Nah. Well, I don't know. The doctor said I'm in perfect health, Miss Laura, so maybe it worked. I don't know. What's the opposite of that in Christian living? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? We put the gospel to work. By serving people in need. By showing the love and the mercy of Christ to people who are lonely, people who are sick, people who are homeless, people who are grieving, people who are fearful. Put the gospel to work by loving our families. With that love that we learned from Jesus. We love him because he first loved us. And now that we've known true love, we we love reciprocally. We love by sharing our faith with our friends. We put the gospel to work by making a personal investment in missionary work, praying, giving, sending, going to the nations with the good news about Jesus Christ. We put the gospel to work by carrying out our regular calling in a way that shows the supremacy of Christ in the very essence of our being. As workers we do this with our labor. The professor with his scholarship, the educator with her teaching, the lawyer with his justice, the doctor with his medicine, the artist with the craft. As long as it is done with the intention of bringing glory to God, anything and everything we do is an investment in the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming soon. We we've got to put the gospel to work. He has entrusted us with a portion. What are we doing with this portion? Now we'll read on in the text. Here but we'll find that one took what was given to him and created ten, and or not created, but had a return of ten. Five took what was given to him, had a return of five. But one, out of fear, said, "I just went and I, I like rolled it up in a napkin or a handkerchief and I put it in my pocket here and I hid it because I was afraid that I would lose it." And from this one. Judgment is found and what he had was taken from him. Church, we've got to get busy for Christ. With the gospel, we are commanded to occupy until he comes to do business. Don't understand this in the the militant stance that there is a a battle here. There is a spiritual warfare going on, but, but our king is already victorious in the battle. But while he's gone away and until he comes back, what has he said here? Trade. Loan out and collect. Buy and sell. Be profitable with the gospel. Now I know that kind of crosses some wires in a lot of our heads here. We we often like to think about, well, there's like business and money. Money. Brother Scotty's teaching about money right now. And then there's you know, there's these holy things, the Bible and God and the gospel. As if, you know, everything over here at the business end is Evil and everything over here in the spiritual land is just perfect. Well, that's just not true. And Jesus uses a business illustration here to say this is what gospel living should look like. J.C. Ryle said, our title to heaven is all of grace, but our degree of glory in heaven will be proportioned to our works. Now, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Well, the the parable eases the pressure a bit. Now, not so much as you can be lazier and do nothing. But note verse 16. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. Okay, what did he say there? What did he not say? Did you read that? He didn't say, look what I've done. What did he say? He said, Lord... This pound you gave me, it gained 10 pounds. I'm good at that. I can take a pound and turn it into 10 quick. (laughs) But he's talking about a capital investment here, not not fat retention for our flesh here. And he said, man, if only Christian living was that easy, I'd be an expert. But he says, you, you gave me this talent. It's almost like he's saying, I'm just your servant he doesn't say, I didn't know what to do with it. He doesn't say, I, I felt foolish with it. But he, but he just says, kind of in spite of himself, this is what's happened here. He, he's humble before the master. He just says, your, your pound gained 10 pounds. Verse 18, the other guy says the same thing. The second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. But Some of you are in business and you can understand this. Some of you maybe have done sales at some point and you can understand this. Probably all of us at some point, either for ourselves as children growing up or maybe for our kids or grandkids because they were growing up, have had to at least sell fundraising items. Anybody got some, you've sold some wrapping paper, Girl Scout cookies, all of these things, right? We've done some selling, some sales. Nothing worse than trying to sell a product nobody wants. Do you remember on the Andy Griffith show, Opie and all the little boys were selling this tonic? And they, they couldn't get it to sell. And they, they tried to give it back to the guy. And he says, we're going to put you boys on the blacklist. Barney and Gomer tricked the guy. You know, it's a good one. I always remember as a, a kid, like some of the products they'd send us home with the fundraisers just didn't sell very well. They weren't really good ideas. But some of them were super easy. Like one year, they just sent us home with a box of candy bars. They said, go sell candy bars to people. Like, oh, that's just found people who look, look like me and, like, hey, candy bars. "Yeah, hey, Give me five. It was, it was no problem. The, the servants here are kind of this way with the master to this nobleman. They said, look, you gave us this pound and now it has gained 10. And you gave me this pound and now it has gained five. They said, our testimony would be this was a hard. This it wasn't difficult. We, we didn't have to be experts. We didn't have to go to business school. We didn't have to figure anything out. We just simply took what you had already made, what you had already created, what you had already put together. We didn't hoard it. We didn't sit on it. We didn't hide it. We just kind of lived like we had already been living with. This is your ownership and you've entrusted us. And we're going to. And it was profitable. Church, we are to occupy till he comes. But I don't think it has to be that difficult. Now, there's the spiritual warfare element of this that is sometimes difficult, no doubt. But I think in relation to the gospel, we need to understand here that we don't have to make it profitable. It grows by God's power. So let's occupy until he comes. Now, notice Jesus' teaching on the outcome of this. And we've gotten into this a little bit. But verse 16 through 19 teaches that faithfulness results in reward. Faithfulness results in reward. And then verse 20 through 23 teaches us that fruitlessness results in return. Okay, verse 16. Then came the first. Well, I skipped verse 15. Let's read verse 15. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdoms, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thy good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, that thou have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. So the first had gained ten from the one. And in return his reward is charge over ten cities in his master's new kingdom. That's a big deal. The next had gained five and he's given charge over five cities in the master's new kingdom. So over some area in this empire, this man is made, this nobleman is made king and he comes back and he says to these who have occupied till he come. Now, now in this kingdom, you take these 10 cities and this is yours and you're the governor over them. And then you take these five cities, and this is yours, and you're the governor over them. He says, You've been faithful with the little that I gave to you, three months' salary or so, and now I'm going to let you rule a, a large portion of my kingdom. Let him who has ears to hear hear what the Lord says to his people. These are slaves, they're the least on the earth. But they became powerful and great because they were faithful stewards of what had been entrusted to them. They were responsible over all that they had received. Hudson Taylor said, a little thing is just a little thing. But faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. So their faithfulness resulted in reward. Now, there's the other side. Verse 20 through 23 fruitlessness resulted in return. Verse 20, and another came saying, "'Lord, behold, here is thy pound, "'which I have kept laid up in a napkin. "'For I feared thee because thou art an austere man. "'Thou takest up that thou layest not down "'and reapest that thou didst not sow. "'And he said unto him, "'Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, "'thou wicked servant. "'Thou knewest that I was an austere man, "'taking up what I laid not down, "'reaping what I did not sow.'" Wherefore, then gavest thou not my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. So out of fear, this servant did nothing but hide away what he'd been given to ensure when he comes back, I'll at least have this. That was his version of occupy till I come. That's small thinking. That's faithless thinking. In fact, we will say some things about him here this morning. He misunderstood the instruction he mishandled the investment. He mismanaged the information. He misplaced the blame. Let me go through those four points with you there. He misunderstood the instruction. He acted as if his master had said, protect this until I return. Now church, I don't want to let your minds go wild with however you want to apply that into your life. Because I think too often that's what we're hearing when we read our Bibles and when we pray and when we are led by the Holy Spirit, that our primary and sole thing to do is just to protect. Don't let anything happen to it. Be sure you have this when I get back. It's not the order. He misunderstood the order. He misunderstood the instruction. The instruction was, "Occupy till I come." You buy, you sell, you lend, you collect, so that there will be profit, so that when I come, I can receive what you've earned. He mishandled the investment. Do you not think this nobleman knew his product? He knew his capital. He knew it. He knew the potential that it possessed to be profitable. Those with faith in the nobleman and those with faith in the system that the nobleman had set up. They did very well. But this guy, he he mishandled this investment. He lacked faith and he was fruitless because he lacked faith with what had been entrusted to him. This was because he mismanaged the information. What was this nobleman's wisdom? Take this pound and do business with it. Until I return, use my capital to profit through trade. The servant didn't do that. The first two did. And they came back and they said, This this is great. But but this guy did what he thought was best. His best idea was to hide the pound in a napkin. All right, let me just uh, pause there for a moment. Give you some. I'm about to turn 40. I don't know a lot of things. I'm still learning lots of things. But I can give you some worldly wisdom. (laughs) at least through my 40 years of, in living. If your idea, you say, I'm going to go into business and be a businessman. And your idea is I'm going to get this product, I'm going to wrap it up in a napkin and I'm going to hide it in my pocket. I'm going to make sure nobody gets it. And this is going to make me rich. It's a bad idea. It's <laughs> just, I mean, you know, I don't know a lot of things. I'm a preacher. I've never actually been in business, but I'm going to just be honest. I don't think, I don't, I don't see great things in your future. If this is your idea. Odd that this guy does this. I mean Even, the, even the, the nobleman points out in verse 23, he said, why don't you at least just put it in the bank? Then, then when I come, I could at least receive the interest from the bank. Now Th- will let your mind go on that just a little bit. What else is he saying? If I just wanted this protected, I wouldn't have chosen you, buddy. I would have bought a safe deposit box at the bank where it's FDIC insured and they got a security guard out front. Duh. But your grand idea was to take this and wrap it in a napkin and put it in your pocket to protect it for me? Now, we have to be careful of parables to stay on topic, but boy, parables sometimes can just let your mind run wild when you think of all the application that's there. I mean, what's another one there for us? We need to know our role in this thing. And and just, you know, God's gifted you, he's enabled you, you do what it is that, I don't think this guy's role was security. Garrett, you hired this guy for the safety team at the church? Why not? He had it when he got back. (laughs) It was kind of crusty, but he had it. I think to operate as he did tells us that this servant was totally out of touch with his master. Are we that way with Jesus? Are we that way with God? Are we so out of touch with the Lord that we've begun to misunderstand His instructions, that we've begun to mishandle His investment, that we we can't quite figure out what it is that He wants us to do? I think often we, instead of putting the gospel to good use, we sort of stall in fear. We operate as if we're afraid to talk about our faith. Afraid to give God more of our money than we think that we can spare. Afraid to do anything for Jesus that goes beyond our own abilities. Afraid to trust in the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Rikens says here, holding back from the clear call of God like this is not humility. It is pride and rebellion and fear. If God has gifted you in an area and given you a trust to do something, but you're holding back when you think it's because you're being humble. It's not humility, it's pride or rebellion or maybe you're acting in fear. So this servant here, his fear drove his poor decision-making and led him to a fateful decision. The last thing I want to point out to you about him is that he misplaced the blame. And, and this is the most crucial part of his logic. Because if you read through this, you can start to kind of feel bad for the guy. He misunderstood his instructions. He mishandled his investment. He mismanaged the information. But instead of owning up to his failure, he tried to blame his master. Now, notice what he says here. Verse 21. For I feared thee. Okay. Why? Because thou art an austere man. Now, what he means by that is you demand strict attention to the rules and the procedures. You are dissatisfied otherwise. Now I kind of get that guy a little bit there. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not wired like this. Some of you are wired this way. I'm, I, don't, I like the rules, don't get me wrong. Like we talked about this Wednesday night, we were meeting with the parents and talking. and We talked about how when you're supposed to line up in a place in a certain way, I'm, I'm all about, like, get in line. I don't like line breakers. Anybody else with me on that? Line breakers just drive you nuts. But then at the same time, I like to be flexible and on the fly with things. You just kind of, kind of take it as it comes and react and and do your thing. Both ends of this can be problematic. I understand that. So as I read through this, I thought, man, I kind of feel for the guy here. He's put under a lot of pressure by his master. He feels that pressure. And he's just afraid to do anything because of that pressure. But his logic is not clear. It, his logic is faulty. He says, it's not my fault I was afraid. Well, that's where he goes wrong. It was his fault that he was afraid. Instead, he says, no, 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 Master. It was your fault that I'm afraid because you're scary. <laughs> well, that's not how it works. He says, this is, I, I didn't do right. I, I'm seeing that now, but, but it's your fault I didn't do right because I was afraid of you. I mean, you all and me, we just kind of met this guy. We've known him for five or six verses now. Seems like a pretty good guy, don't you think? I mean, he, he went away. Some people didn't like him. I kind of like a guy that some people don't like. In fact, I'm worried about a guy that everybody likes. This guy, he says, I feared you. You take up what you laid not down, you reap what you didn't sow. So he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew this. You knew that I was an austere man, taking up what I laid not down, reaping what I didn't sow. Why didn't you at least then put it in the bank? So verse 22 teaches that his lack of faith led to judgment instead of reward. McDonald comments here, if we don't use our opportunities for the Lord, they will be taken from us. If we are if we are faithful in a very little, God will see that we will never lack the means to serve him even more. Now, here's the human element to this. Verse 24. And he said to them that stood by, take from him the pound and give to him that hath ten pounds. And what do the other humans say? Lord, he hath 10 pounds. (laughs) He's already got his share. What are they in a sense saying here? Well, that's not fair. Okay, remember who's telling the parable and who's he telling it about? Secular humanism has caused Christians to misunderstand and mispractice biblical justice. Verse 27, six. For I say unto you that unto one which hath shall be given, and for him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. These bystanders try to come to this wicked servant's defense. The master has already pronounced, you first two, Well done. You're good. You're faithful servants. I'm going to put you in charge over some cities. He says to this guy, you're wicked. You you didn't do what I told you to do. You didn't even do what would have been common to do, that every other normal person would have done this. You, You went at it your own way. You mishandled it. You did wrong in this. So I'm going to take away from you what I originally entrusted to you. Is that wrong? Whose was it? It was his to start with. It was his to reclaim. The bystander says, whoa, 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 whoa. And just throw in a bunch of these key words we live in today. Equity, equality, opportunity. Uh, Anybody else sick of it? I'm ready for normality. It's just normal. <laughs> Whatever happened to that? Oh, tell me that. I have The big one. Well, we think this is new to us, but it's a pretty, pretty good while ago Jesus was teaching this lesson, isn't it? They say this is not fair. Why would you take away the little bit that he has and, and give to the one who has plenty? <laughs> what is human, humanity's version of fairness? Take from those who have plenty and give to the little who have nothing. No, who's in charge of doing that? No, it shouldn't be. But yes, we've been conditioned to say the government's in charge of that. No, not the government. The one who has it. If Jared has a portion of land and he says, poor old brother Chance, right? that's the way you're still thinking about me here. I've got 10 acres, he don't have any acres. I'm going to give him one acre and he can live on that one acre. Is that all right if he wants to decide to do this? (laughs) Just kidding, not trying to put Jared on the spot here. But if the the government says that's what we're going to do, then what should you and I do? It sounds like this. That's what you and I should do. Are we all in agreement there? Did they just kill the live stream? It's impossible. They saw this as unfair. We're learning here that human justice does not equate with God's justice. Now, let me get, I'm going to just take you to the end and I'll bring you back and I'll give you some more in the middle. alright you all right? Y'all eat your Oreos that way? If you want human justice, then you're going to end up in hell. But if you're okay with God's justice, Christ's righteousness is taken from Him, him given to you. Not really. It's equated to you and you get to spend eternity with God in heaven. Though you earned death in hell. I say amen to that. Well, Jesus is teaching this here. This this whole it's not fair represents the response of legalism. Legalism is a system built on an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, grace-based Christians, you often want to live this way. You often want to say, but I'm right and they're wrong. Okay. Where you were wrong and God was right, how did he handle that? There's one word. What is it? Forgiveness. Grace is a better word, but forgiveness. Tooth for a tooth. Blood for blood. That's human justice. The response of legalism is just that. Don't take from this guy. This other guy has ten. This guy only has one. If you're going to do anything, just let it stay like it is. But Jesus' kingdom is going to be represented by an entirely different type of system. It was a system of grace to the faithful and to the trusting. And it was a system of judgment for those who trusted in themselves rather than in God's grace. These first two servants came in and said to me, Your pound has made 10 pounds. Your pound has gained 5 pounds. This other guy said well, this is what I thought I should do. It's a different, a different approach. He got it. He said, what in the world am I going to do with this? The other two got it and they said, well, let's see what happens. <laughs> they thought, I, I don't know that I should do anything much. In verse 26, then Jesus divides the people. And you'll find that a common theme from Genesis to Revelation. There's a division of the people. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. So there are those who have, and there are those who do not have. There are those who love him and serve him passionately, and they're given these ever-widening areas of opportunity. The one who profited ten was given ten cities to serve over. The one who profited five was given five cities to serve over. But the one who failed, he failed to buy up opportunities. This resulted in a loss of all for him. Now that's Jesus' teaching as he begins to make his way to the cross. As he begins to enter the parade leading to Jerusalem of the triumphal entry, the palm branches, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He stops these people and he says, I want to teach you something because you're misunderstanding. You're misunderstanding the timing of this kingdom. And you're misunderstanding the task of this kingdom. And church, if you hear just one thing this morning, hear this. The primary task for those in the church in regards to Christ's kingdom is to be faithful. You can apply that to a lot of things. Faithful to the word, faithful to pray, faithful to be led of the Holy Spirit. Faithful in your job, faithful in your marriage, faithful with your children, faithful in your community, etc. But when it comes right down to it and you're trying to decide is this way or that way right? Well, which one is being faithful to God? And we see the definitive outcomes here. There are those who were just faithful what what given to them. It was profitable on its own and they were rewarded because of it. And then there were those who said, I don't know what to do here, but I'm afraid of this guy, so I'm going to hide it away. Didn't work out so well for them. Let's stand and pray.